as, as Mike said at the start, we, it's, it's almost like I feel like I'm a stuck record when we, we say things like this, but we are living at a challenging time. Um, the government is, is in upheaval. Uh, the weather has gone crazy. And, uh, you know, many of us are still fatigued off, off the back of the last couple of years. And it can be, um, at a time like this, it can feel a little overwhelming. And one of the things that, that always encourages me is uh, occasionally I bump into Christians who have just lived through just really difficult things. And they've, they've thrived in it and they've seen God move. And um, Mike mentioned him, I think it was a few weeks ago now, a, a, a friend of ours called Brother Andrew, who, uh, if you don't know his story, um, Brother Andrew's now very elderly, but when he was young, he really felt called by God to smuggle Bibles to the persecuted church. And so he would, he would take Bibles into Eastern Europe at a time when um, it, the Iron Curtain was down. And, uh, and then as, as things changed in the world, he, he felt a shift in his call to, when he was when, in his older years, called to um, go to those who no one else is going to. So for him, that was terrorists. So very literally, uh, he has a ministry to terrorists and, um, and also drug barons. I know it sounds a little bit crazy, but uh, these are the people that he goes to see. One year, he, true story, he asked Mike to go and see some Colombian drug barons with him. Mike was busy. But uh, that's the sort of stuff that Andrew does. And anyway, there's this time where the two of us, we went to see Brother Andrew, and I had the chance to ask him some questions. And, and one of the questions I put to him was, I said, Andrew, you are, at this point, he was in his 70s. You're in your 70s, and you are on fire for God. And that's where I want to be, you know. Uh, when I'm in my 70s, I want to be going for it as well. I don't want to peter out. And I said, what is the secret? Tell me, how do you do that? And his answer to me was so simple. He just said, stick close to Jesus. And I remember externally sort of nodding and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and internally just rolling my eyes thinking, there is no way that can be the secret. Tell me what you eat. Like, what is your diet? How many press-ups do you do a day, Brother Andrew? There's got to be something else going on here. But that, that was it. And he said that to me when I was 21 years old. I'm now 36. And I have never been given a better piece of advice. Stick close to Jesus. And there's this moment um, in, the, in the Gospels where Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples. And he is preparing them for um, a different way of operating. Because he knows he's about to be crucified. Obviously, he's going to be resurrected. But then he's going to ascend to heaven to be with the Father. And so he's, he, he's aware that he's not going to be with them in bodily form in the way that he has been up until this point. And he's having to prepare them because they are, you know, if we think we're living in unstable times, they were, they were living at a very difficult time. They were, in, in the end, what we see in the Gospels, that, well, the book of Acts, they were persecuted for their faith. Um, many of them ended up being killed because of their trust in Jesus. So he's preparing them for that as part of this meal that he has. And... As so often is the way with Jesus, what he does, he says a lot of things in the meal, but one of the things that he does is he takes a really simple picture just from everyday life. If Jesus was around today, I fancy that many of the parables would be about petrol stations and trips to Asda. It's just like stuff that just happens in our everyday. But this is 2,000 years ago. It's in a community where there's a lot of farming, and it's in the Middle East. And so he talks about a vine, and he gives them this picture of how relationship with him is going to work. And he uses the vine to do that. So I'm just going to read you what he says in John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so he's saying, you know what, if this is going to work, here's how it's going to work. Um, I'm, I'm the vine and you're the branch. I, I love that she's just really taking her time choosing the sweets. Just cracks me up. I'm, I'm trying not to be aware of it, but I'm 100% aware. Um, and uh, anyway, let's go ahead. So he says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. And uh, just in this picture, just in, that, that, that's the truth, just to get us going. So there's this one simple thing. He's saying, we're together, all right? We're in this together. And um, it, it's this phrase that sort of runs like, like, like a golden thread all the way through the New Testament. This idea that when we come to know Jesus, we, we, it's like we're in Christ, is the phrase. You come across that? It's like we're in him and he's in us. And that's what he's getting at when he says, I'm the vine and you're the branch. He's not saying, I'm like the main bit of the, bar, the vine, and you're this bit that's added on to me that's a branch. He's saying, I'm the whole vine, branches and all, and you're a branch in the vine. So it would be a bit like, a bit, bit like him saying, I am the body, the whole body, and you're an arm. The arm is part of the body. I'm the whole, and you are within me. You're part of me. And um, this idea of being in Jesus it's one of, I think it's one of the hardest things to get our heads around when, we, when we're looking at the New Testament. But one of the ways that I imagine it is it reminds me of a time when um, Beth was pregnant. My wife was pregnant with our fourth son, Zachary. And um, we, we were lying in bed. She was heavily pregnant at this point. We were trying to get to sleep. And she just couldn't get to sleep. And the reason for that was because Zachary was, had the hiccups. The baby in, in the womb had the hiccups. We'd had three pregnancies up until that point. I didn't realize babies could get hiccups in the womb, but they can. And sure enough, like I put my hand on her tummy, and I could feel like this as the baby hiccuped. And then again, and then again. And I loved it partly because it wasn't happening inside of my body. But um, I enjoyed it for, for a bit, and then I rolled over and went to sleep, and we had to struggle on. Um, but but what, what, what happens is when the baby's inside of Beth, if, if Beth eats something, in a way, it's like that's what the baby's going to eat. So the baby ate a lot of banoffee pie during that pregnancy. Um, if Beth decides to go to the shops, Zachary can't be like, I'm going to stay here today. Zachary also goes to the shops. If Beth goes on holiday, Zachary gets on the plane, and he also goes on holiday because he's, he's in her in that moment. And although this analogy breaks down on many levels, it's as if we are in Jesus. And so what he receives, we also receive. And so we are welcomed into his relationship with the Father. That becomes our relationship with our Father. We, we receive um, it, because Jesus is welcomed into eternal life, we too are welcomed into eternal life because we're in him, 
In Jesus, we're told we have every spiritual blessing. So we are in him. It's, it's already happened. We don't need to strive for that. We don't need to strain for that. Jesus doesn't say, I am a vine and now you need to become a branch. What he says is, I am the vine and you are a branch. You're in me. It's done. That's why we rejoice today and every day because we're in Jesus. Um, and yet, I don't know if you find, but, but usually when I wake up in the morning, I don't wake up thinking, wow, I'm in Jesus. I'm in Christ. It's all mine. I usually wake up in the morning, um, at the moment, pretty stressed. And what I find is my stress levels go up as the day goes on. That's the low point. And I'm, I'm, I can be quite frantic, and I'm thinking about all these things I need to do, and you know, all of that. And it's, 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 I, maybe you're floating around just knowing the truth that you're in Jesus all the time, but most of us aren't doing that. And, um, I, and, what, and this is where what Jesus says about remaining, I think this is where this comes into it. So he says, I'm the vine, and you're the branch. And then he says, remain in me. And he repeats it, just as like I remain in you. You've got to remain in me. If you don't do that, you won't be able to do anything. But if you do do that, if you remain in me, you'll bear a lot of fruit. What, what does he mean by remain? I think what he means is um, that there's a place for us learning. And this is something we do on a journey as we're his disciples. There's a place for us learning what is it to just live in him, to, to rest in him. To, to, it's not about earning anything because it's already ours. It's already a gift. It's about learning to enjoy what we have been given. And um, that is, I think, that there could not be, in my view, a more important thing for us to grow in um, in these days as his followers, learning to remain in the vine. So how do we do that? And I just want to, with the time I've got left, talk about three practical things we can do that help us remain in him. The first one is, to meditate on his truth, to meditate on his truth. And um, this picture of he's the vine and we're the branch, what that, what that says is it's like all the, um, all the sap, everything the branch needs, it comes from the vine. So all the energy, all the life, all the nutrients, they're coming from the vine and they flow into the branch. And that for us is a picture of how our life with him is meant to work. It's like all of the life that's in him, all of our life, it flows from him. Our strength, it comes from him. Our wisdom that we need every day comes from him. We draw all of that from him. And one way of being almost thirsty for that, one way of being hungry and coming to him for that is to come to the word of God and it's to meditate on it. It's to um, kind of digest it and to savor it. That this is a book of beautiful truth in a world full of ugly lies. And, and it can feed us and it can nourish us. And we want to do it because it feeds us. We want to do it because it nourishes us. But also what I'm talking about is, is, is it, to begin to savor it, to begin to enjoy it. To meditate on God's word is, is not meditation in, in the sense of emptying our minds. What it is, is it's meditation in the sense of filling our minds, filling ourselves up with his truth. What would it look like to read the scripture in a way that meditates? You know, because you can read it through like a novel and that's great. And you can study it and that's important. But meditate on it. It's like savoring it. So think about it how, I, you know, the obvious example for me is how Mike eats a meal. Whenever we go to a restaurant, there's a 
yes, there's a, obviously a pragmatic element of we need the food, but it's, it's just so much more than that. It's like we're savoring and we're every, there's exclamations about it and there's, there's sort of like closing eyes and there's sometimes even going like this physically on a table when it's really good and there's the we should have stopped 20 minutes ago, but we can't, you know, we're just going to keep going and it's, there's, this, there's this delight that's taken in it. And what might it look like? to take some of this beautiful truth and just begin to enjoy it. Just begin to delight and savor it. Um, and one of the things that helps is to understand that this is, it, that the written word is, is from, our, from our God. It's written by human beings in contexts and cultures and all of that, obviously, but it's, it's from him to us. It's to take a small bit of scripture you know, there was, there was a Baptist preacher that once said, I would rather let my soul soak in a single verse of Scripture than rinse my hands with a few chapters. It, it, it's just taking a little bit and it's beginning to sort of um, just uh, think about it. Like, I remember when I was a teenager and I was falling in love. And uh, if you ever happened to you, like, you would text each other. You just start getting to know each other and stuff. And then when, when, when she sent me a text, it would be, time to sort of like break it down and analyze it, but not analyze it in the sense of I'm studying this and I need to get a dictionary to find out what this word means. Analyze it in the sense of I'm just going to reread this and I'm going to come back to it and I'm going to reread it and I might send it to my mate and then phone him and say, what do you think she means by this? How do you think this is going, right? It's, it's savoring it in that. It's like, it's like a message of love to us. And so one that I've been coming back to recently has been... Um, the verse that Hannah actually spoke on last week where she was talking about peace. And Jesus says in John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not be troubled. Do, do not, I do not give peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So to enjoy that is just to, is just to almost come before him and just say, even as I... As, as I Meditate on that promise. I'm going to receive your peace right now. You, you give peace. I receive that from you. I remember that you don't give like everybody else does, conditionally, based on my performance. You just give because you love. And where you say, do not be afraid. Lord, I am afraid. I'm scared. Um, would you help me to obey that? Because I'm finding that one tough right now. And again, I receive your peace. Think of it like some of these people that are really into art. You know, you can see them occasionally in a museum. They go and sit before a painting and they just sit and they look at it. And they're just enjoying it. And they sit there for hours sometimes and they're just waiting for something to jump off the canvas that they haven't seen before. It's that. It's enjoying his truth. So that's one way we can remain, as it were, in him. A second way is to learn, and I think this, again, for me anyway, is a big journey. Learn to give him our fears. Learn to give him our cares, our anxieties. And um, to begin to see anxiety as an opportunity. So all those things we have coming up in, in the week ahead, those are for us opportunities for intimacy, opportunities for closeness. So another verse that I love is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, that says... Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Um, 
And, you know, it's been said that we can trust God too little, but we can never trust him too much. And one of the people um, that I, one of my other heroes, I'll never get to meet this guy, but was around in the 1800s, a guy called Hudson Taylor. And I've read a lot of his story. And Hudson Taylor, when he was young, he grew up in England, and he felt called by God to go to China as a missionary. And uh, one day he went to see this kind of old minister, and he said to him, look, I, I think God might be calling me to China. And the minister said to him, well, how, you know, how are you going to fund this? And Hudson said to him, well, you know what? I think if God's called me, then he'll provide me with what I need. And the minister said to him, yeah, when you're older and wiser, you'll realize that's not how it works. And Hudson later in life wrote, um, since that day, I've become older, but no wiser, because I still think that God provides when he calls. And um, he talks about some of his journey on it. And what he would do as a young man is he would practice trusting God he would just find um, himself in situations where he would choose one thing, almost not to test God, but to, but to grow himself a bit like exercise. And one of the stories that I love is when he's walking home one evening and he's got a half a crown coin in his pocket and that's like all the money he had. And as he's walking home, um, this guy rushes out who recognizes him from, from on the street earlier and says, can you come and pray for my wife? She's really ill. So he takes him into this, uh, this little hovel where he was living. They're a really poor family. They had hardly anything. There's loads of kids in there, and his wife is there in the bed, and she's sick. And um, the man says, please, if you can do anything to help us, help us. So Hudson just says to them, look, God, you can trust God. He'll provide for your needs. And he gets down to pray for the woman. And he's praying the Lord's Prayer. And as he starts to pray, he suddenly, the thought suddenly comes into his head, I meant to give them this, this half crown in my pocket, but that was all the money he had. And he had this internal wrestle, but if I give it to them, what am I going to live off? And he was thinking to himself, if that, that was equivalent of like a 50 pound note. He was like, if I had two 20s and a 10, you know what, I'd give them 30 uh, and I'd keep the rest for myself, but that's not what I've got. And so anyway, and then he starts to pray through the Lord's Prayer and he gets to give us today our daily bread. And he just he just realizes, you know what, I'm a hypocrite. I'm telling these people to, to trust God, but I'll only trust them if I've got a half crown in my pocket. And so what he does is he pulls out the coin, he gives it to them, and he says, you might think that this is a small thing for me to give this to you. I want you to know this is all the money I have in the world. And he hands them the coin, and he says, and you can trust God, and he will provide for you. And then he walks home, and he has his little dinner when he gets home. And then he gets down on his knees and he says, Lord, you say that those who give to the poor lend to you. Well, I'm saying, can you make the loan a short one? Because I haven't got any breakfast. And he said the next morning he woke up and this envelope comes through his door. Uh, you know, it had been posted like the week before, but it was all smudged from the rain so he didn't know who it was from. And in the envelope was a coin that was worth four times the amount he gave away. And the point isn't that, you know, we give 10 pounds, he gives us 100 pounds. The point is, he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. And, and so Hudson, he'd do stuff like that again and again. And he said it got to the point where he was able to go to China and say, I stepped off the boat into China with 10 pounds in my pocket and all the promises of God. Wouldn't you love to be able to, to, to say that and just say, look, I look at my energy bill and I know that I've got £10 in my bank balance and all the promises of God. That I, I walk around with the promises of a promise-keeping father in my pocket all the time. 
And years later, people would ask Hudson and they say, how come you can trust God with such big things? Because the needs just kept getting greater as he got older. And he would say, it's because I started when I was young. And what I did is, where, where other people might be able to help themselves, I just knew I couldn't. So I would come in simple, childlike trust to my father and I would just ask him for what, he need, for what I needed. And what I found is, day after day, he delighted to provide for me. Whether it was finances, or it was strength, or it was wisdom, or it was peace. He took joy in providing for me. And so years later, when the needs became more serious, I just knew he was faithful. I just knew he was good. And none of us want to live at an anxious time. Who wants to live in a time of uncertainty? Yet, is there a way of looking at it as an opportunity? These are days, and this is a time where we can learn to trust him. And we can learn to, as it were, cast our cares upon him. And really practically, one way that I've just rediscovered of praying is a way that the Quakers um, pray often. And it's just this really simple thing where they, some of you would have come across it, where they just do palms down, palms up. And they just say, pray just for a few minutes. And what you can do is you can go, you sit somewhere and you just physically do it. You go palms down. And then when you do palms down, you just give to him all the stuff that's stressing you out. So Lord, I give to you the situation with my colleague. I give to you the food bill. I give to you my child. And then you, you, you give it all to him. And then you go, palms up. And I receive from you, again, your assurance of provision. I, I receive from you, again, the truth that you are my father. I receive from you, again, your assurance that you love me and you also love all the people that I care about and I'm worried for. And even, you can say, is there anything else you want to give me? You know, in a moment like that. And if there is something you might want to say, you might say it in that moment, but don't worry if not. But just palms down, palms up. So it's learn to give him our fears. And then here's the final way that I think we can, um, as we practice it, we, we just practice being near him. It's to trust and obey. To trust and obey. And there's this, this hymn that I love the words of, and it goes... Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And what it's getting at is that that the, the enjoying of him, he who is ours, he who has given himself to us, the enjoying of him, some of that comes in the surrender to him. I will do what you say. I will go where you say. And always that's a journey, and we're always going to make mistakes. And I remember for me when I was a student, one of the things I was trying to trust him and, and obey him on was I'd heard lots of stories of people who'd had prophetic words for folk out and about, They'd shared these words. People had become Christians. And I thought, I want a bit of that. I'm going to practice that. And so one day I had like a lunch break. And I went, I can still picture it, to this place where there was a tree that I stood underneath next to a river. And I said to the Lord in that moment, Lord, if there's anyone you want me to speak to, tell me now. I will go and speak to them. 
and then they will become a Christian, and I will write a book about it. And I remember as I stood there, this thought came into my head, oh, if there's someone in a red coat that goes past you, I want you to go and pray for them. And I remember thinking, okay. Uh, and then getting really worried in case someone with a red coat came along and I would actually have to go and pray for them because I'm not very good at this kind of thing. And then, um, and then what happened eventually is this woman came hobbling along, this old lady, in a coat that was questionably red. Um, and so I had this whole debate in my head, is it red or is it not? And in the end, I decided, yes, it is. And she hobbled towards me. And as she hobbled, I was kind of weighing this up. Now, for some of you, this would be easy. But for me, this is not easy, this stuff. So I'm weighing it up. And I'm thinking, well, what are the pros and cons? The pros is she's an old lady. So there are scarier people I could go and pray for, right? What's the worst that can happen? If it doesn't go well, I'll just run away. She can't catch me. Um, so I'm thinking that. But then the other part of me is thinking, but she's still a human being. It's still embarrassing. You know, it's still humiliating. And, and I'm weighing up. Do I do it? Do I not do it? She hobbled, hobbled, hobbled towards me. And then she hobbled past me. And then she hobbled off. And I totally bottled it. And I remember walking back to my room so cross with myself. And I was saying things to myself like, Andy, Jesus died on a cross for you, and you can't even go pray for an old woman. Like, what sort of a believer are you, right? I was so cross with myself. And I, I wish now I could go back and, and say to myself, Andy, this isn't, about, this isn't about earning. He's already yours. You are a branch. You don't have to become one by trying to do this kind of stuff. You are a branch. What it's about is it's about enjoying him. And in this instance, what this is, is this is an opportunity. It's not a test. This is an opportunity to step into an adventure with him. And there'll be times I've found in the years since where he does speak. And it is when you're out and about in a restaurant. And it is to do something that feels a little bit scary. And, it, and, and, and stepping out in those moments, when you see him move, there's nothing like it. But so often the trust and obey um, is also in the mundane. It, it, it's in the... Lord, I don't want to be patient with this person, but I read in your word that love is patient. I don't want to be kind to this person. I really don't like them, you know, but I read in your word that love is kind. I don't want to forgive this person. What they did was inexcusable, you know, and this is the third time they've done it. But you say here that it's like, well, you've forgiven me all of my stuff, and so the expectation you have is that I'll forgive other people theirs. Oh, man. And to trust and obey, what it is, is, is to say, and you can, we can say it, I don't want to do this. This is not my will, but not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Yours be done. And would you help me, because it's really hard to do this. Would you help me? And in that place, what we find is that our relationship with him, it's like it can't ever change because he's the, he's the vine and we are the branch in that sense. But it's like, it's as if we just, our friendship matures with him. And we walk, we're more aware, more confident of the truth that we walk hand in hand with him. What's the secret for this time? If there is one, Jesus doesn't keep it very secret. It's this, he's the vine, we're the branch. It's stick close to Jesus.